I am so excited to bring this interview with Natanya Wajel to you. She is so vibrant and full of insights about leadership. One particular topic is really, really near and dear to my heart. And it's about having a safe place for people to speak their mind. And I want you to think about this. You, as a leader, do you provide the framework for people to pose questions, make statements, and not say whether they're good or bad, but provide a framework to assess the value and if there's a gap, and maybe how to evolve it? One of these things that I see happen time and time again is you have talent. They have ideas. They have thoughts. They have questions. And if we're not prepared to handle it, we squash their creativity. And I remember an instance where I've shared this story with you over and over again. And I made the statement to leadership, the key to success is not necessarily what we do as leaders, but how we lead. And that was not taken well, for which afterwards, oh my, I lost a lot of confidence and I was ready to throw in the towel to say, I am just not cut out for this work, when something I believe in so strongly made sense to me. But then colleagues came to me later on and said, Deb, you were right. We need leaders to think differently and lead differently. So reflect upon your situation. Do you give people a safe place to express their thoughts because you never know they may be right or there's something in there. So with that, a little bit from Natanya Watchell. Let's listen. A lot of leadership needs to make it okay for the people that work for them to raise their hand and say, the emperor is naked. Most people don't want to give any kind of bad news to leadership. So they will literally bend data to say a story that always says good news. So the reality is they don't know. And it's not because no one's bright enough to know. It's that they're not empowered to say, we might need to pause here, or we might need a different resource, or we might need to shift this thinking, or this positioning might be off because of this. Because everyone just is about the deadlines and getting it done and saying the right thing and getting the attaboy from their leadership. And so that's another reason I think it really happens. And that's, I think, a role that leadership can take, which is to allow that and make that known that I want to know if there's a problem. I want to know if something that I'm asking for doesn't seem to either make sense or is cannot be actualized in the way I thought. I'm okay with that. I'm secure enough in myself as a leader to say sometimes I might need some feedback to shift. Welcome to the Drop-In CEO Podcast. I'm Deb Coviello, and as the Drop-In CEO, I drop into businesses and assume the CEO role to enhance the human element and increase the results they achieve. This podcast is about bringing you conversations with expert guests who have achieved their greatest results built on a strong foundation of purpose, values, and elevating people. If you're a business leader, entrepreneur, or even just getting started in business, join us as we build the skills you need to achieve your goals. Hello, I am Deb Coviello, founder of the Drop-In CEO brand, and I am so grateful you have joined us for another episode where I get to speak to really, really amazing leaders who share their insights and inspiration with you. 
And if you love this episode, and I know you will, please subscribe, rate, review to the podcast so we can continue to bring you amazing programming. And just know, I truly care about the C-suite leaders of today and tomorrow to help you navigate those challenges with confidence. And that's why I bring on amazing guests. And so now I am honored to share the mic with my fantastic guest, Dr. Natanya Wachtel. Dr. Wachtel founded New Solutions Network, a specialized consulting consortium of behavioral science, marketing, and healthcare analytics experts. And in this position, she creatively partners with health and wellness brands to help them understand, manage, and solve modern-day business challenges with a blend of customer-centric psychology, actionable behavioral models, and technical innovation. Dr. Wachtel's expertise includes omni-channel customer engagement, branding, marketing, predictive analysis, customer relationship management, and many, many more. She has an amazing resume. I can't wait for her to bring her story to you. Welcome to the show, Natanya. Thank you so much for having me. That was a mouthful indeed. Oh my gosh, but you are such an accomplished person. And to my listeners, I was in search of amazing CEOs, founders, leaders of their companies, and Natanya said yes. And so we had this amazing, amazing discovery call. She has such energy, but even more importantly, is just her tenacity, her energy, her inspiration for not just serving people, but giving back to the community. She's got an amazing story, but I will give you the floor for a few moments, Natanya. Please share a bit about yourself personally and your journey to some of the work you're doing now. Okay, thank you so much. Well, to keep it interesting, I hope, I have had a journey that's not quite linear. Always been a curious student of science and mathematics and how we can use them to understand the world around us and human behavior because, as you know, we all are interesting creatures individually and collectively. Actually, I started out in, you know, more medical bent towards being a clinician in psychology and actually had private practice and had therapy, serving families, young people, people in trauma. That was a bit intense. And I had to do a pivot or as I used to say, I failed at that. And I'm learning how to re-examine that language and say, you know, it's okay, because now I've had three or four of those pivots. And that's probably one of the one things I'd like to make sure comes across today, too, is that I'm not done yet. And I think most of your listeners aren't either. And that's okay. So that's the professional trajectory, I guess. I wound up in-house in pharmaceutical marketing, in digital, working with med tech, all kinds of innovations where we have chronic and long-term disease management challenges where people are maybe cognitively impaired or otherwise impaired, or there's a severe burden of this illness in their life. So whether I'm connecting with treaters or patients, trying to really be a human and use the basis of psychology and behavioral science to understand why we do what we do and why we don't do what we say we're going to do and all the things and the like, and using mathematics to help do some modeling and predictive formulas around what we do about it. So that's that part. The other area that's very important to me that I've been very active in, and those who may or may not connect with me later will see, is is activism. And that activism has come from being fortunate to live in many different countries outside of the U.S. and seeing a lot of wealth disparity and disparity in access to care. 
And that is also within the U.S. And that's a bit overwhelming to tackle as, a, as an entire situation. But what I would do with small endeavors, either with my family or individually, whether they be fundraising or organizing charitable works and was sort of doing it on an individual basis, you know, signing up to volunteer. I guess I can say it on here, you know, giving my own funds away and in, in scholarship monies to young people who are disadvantaged and didn't come from generational wealth. Usually it's been people of color who, you know, are disadvantaged systemically. So I came to a place though, when I felt like I wish I could do more and was able to connect with some amazing young women who together we are managing and running this organization called Women Who Create, which is a mentor and scholarship program for women of color or those who identify as, as women. So it's including uh, BIPOC trans. And we are actively getting mentors connected with young people who maybe it's their first job or they're not sure how to navigate. They don't necessarily have people they can ask about how do I negotiate a salary or how do I break into this industry? And so connecting them with people who have done it. And so, you know, leveraging the networks that I have to sort of bring that voice and put that hand down and around to help bring other people up. And obviously we also do the academic scholarships and a lot of other programming that we're pretty excited about. So that's my obviously big passion area. The other thing I'm doing was connected with a former colleague of mine who was building something pretty incredible that spoke to me. And it's called Evermore, E-V-R-M-O-R-E. And it is a wellness GPS for Gen Z. It is basically an audio journal use empathy AI to decode and detect and analyze things in your voice that can help determine sort of where you are and help get you where you need to go, building on like core strengths of resilience and mastery and opportunity, personality development, all those kinds of things. So it's sort of combined my early experience and training in therapy, but it's not necessarily trauma. It's trauma-informed, but it's a, a little bit more about action-oriented, almost like empowerment coaching would be considered, but it's built on psychological paradigms, right? If we help move you from a place of, I can't, I don't know, I'm not able, I'm not good enough, to I can, I might, I will, I am, then that's success. And then psychologically, that often is clinically related to lowering anxiety and depression. Oh, Natanya, <laughs> and to my audience, this is absolutely the reason why you so aligned with the Drop-In CEO brand, because everything I do is not to leave a legacy to make me feel better, but to make a difference in the lives of others. And I even talk about just changing the N apostrophe T in what we say to ourselves, the unt, the can't, I'm, I'm not, I won't, I've never, to something of more of an affirmative. Because as soon as you just start playing those negative words over and over again, yes, there may be things that you're not, but reinforce with those things that you are. So taking it with you, taking that gentle reminder through AI and just reminding yourself there are a small amount of things that you're not, but don't measure yourself against what you're not. But think about all the lives you've touched and all the great work that you are going to do despite any failures, pivots, or what have you. So thank you. Thank you so much for the work you do in making a huge difference in the lives of others. So you're amazing, absolutely amazing. But I want to understand the support system either in yourself or around you that enables you to do all this amazing work. Okay, you got it. So peeling back the curtain is something that honestly, I'm only more recently getting comfortable with. 
And it actually started with a podcast. The first time I sort of spoke about what's under the scaffolding of all of this stuff that everyone sees as the big show. And I think that's really important, Deb. And it's really great that we're doing this and that you're taking the time to care. Because I think when you get to a certain level of success in the C-suite or, or otherwise, there's an expectation of perfection that you either put on yourself or those around you. There's an expectation of flawlessness in all your executions, in all of your conversations and all of your ideations. And that's just not tenable and not realistic. And oftentimes, you know, people who are working at that level have had pretty high goals for themselves, whether they came from a family that sort of had those values and pushed them through, or they had that within themselves or a combination of the both, you know, whether you're bootstrapped or you come from some support financially or otherwise, it doesn't really matter. It's probably within you because you wouldn't be here. You wouldn't be listening today. What I took a long time to accept, and I don't say this readily, but I say it because it's the truth. I took a long time to accept those misgivings, that negative talk, those pivots within myself, even though as I was working with young people, working as a therapist, I would encourage other people not to label themselves there, not to define themselves by the things that they aren't. And yet for whatever reason, I always privately had trouble doing that for myself. And one of the most gratifying things in working with young people is that they're more open to take new ways of thinking and being and perspective and apply them quickly because their brains are still developing and malleable. And they're looking for that. They're looking to authority and leadership. And I used to pride myself on not asking for help from anyone, being an independent person all the time and getting everything done as soon as it came into my lap. And what I realized was I was basically a hypocrite and I don't like that. And I didn't really see it, honestly. I just thought that I can, so I must. And we spoke about it earlier that it's sometimes a something as simple as if you generally wake up with a carpe diem mindset, that's awesome. But if on day 37, you wake up and it's not there, listen to it and honor it and say, maybe I need to take today. Maybe I need a couple hours. Maybe I just need 15 minutes before I engage with anyone and check in with myself and see if there's something going on here. Is it that I didn't get enough sleep? Is it that I ate poorly or I had substances or whatever it may be? And I mean that for anyone, not myself personally, but whatever is going on for yourself to give yourself a check-in and to be okay with that. And growing up with a very Western-focused, science-heavy, like sort of Western scientific mindset in the culture that I was brought up in, these sort of things were considered fringe hippie ideas that you don't talk about and you don't acknowledge. And I had to make peace with the fact that and own and be comfortable with, no, this is also part of being a human and looking at Eastern traditions and Eastern disciplines around the whole mind body. And so sometimes it's simple things like honoring the fact that we're a machine that needs water and sleep and food that fuels us and those kinds of things and physical activity and how that's part of making you the powerful person that you are at the podium, that it's all connected and that it's okay to recognize when one of those things isn't optimal. So Natanya, I will tell you that was exactly what I needed right now because for all the work that I do, my clients that love the work that I do with them, I had a few instances where I didn't get the opportunity and I had to be in a place to just say it is, but it doesn't define me. So 
to your point, I took a few hours today, but I am so energized by this conversation. But thank you for those insights. I think so many perfectionists or A1 personalities or just go-getters will have those issues and don't know necessarily to have grace with themselves. But I really would love to dive a little bit more into the work and how you serve others. So I would just love a little bit more because, again, your bio describes some amazing stuff. You're really smart in the things that you do. But describe to me a little bit more about the client profile. What do they look like and what are they feeling when they come into your care and you serve them? So typically, I'll just say I'm a little depersonified clients to be brands, if I could. Because depending on the role, we could have a CMO or a CSO or a CEO, depending on the size of the organization, it could be a president, it could be a VP of marketing, you know, it depends in analytics and customer insights. It depends how the organization is organized. But I'd say in general, it's usually three points in time that we partner best. And that is before a brand is entering the market so that you can be in home position. But it's shocking to me that in 2022, I'm still delicately counseling brands to think inside out in terms of how they're approaching their value proposition. Inside out meaning customer first, then what your value proposition. So instead of just shouting what you are and what you do and why you're the best choice, what is it that your customers need and want? And how do you serve and fill that need? And looking at positioning and branding in that way, sometimes people will write the things on the page or the presentation, but they actually haven't done the exercise, right? Or they write their themes and their their company mantras on the wall, like we care about our customers or we care about patients or work cuts. But then what they actually do doesn't do that. So, I mean, like really doing it. So again, kind of being authentic and honest within yourself, within your work, saying, if I were the customer, how would I feel about this? How would I receive this? And using, you know, psychology to help do that, to understand all of the bias that people will have. Sometimes you have to go about things indirectly, especially if we're in a disruptive category or in a place where that change may be hard to do. So that's one. So the second is maybe you're in market and you've spent some dollars, whether it be in branding, advertising, in customer programs, in partnership agreements, those kinds of things. And you're just not getting the revenue that you had anticipated in or that was predicted from a forecast or your goals, you know, regardless of how there's, there's some kind of delta that needs to be met between where you're at and where you need to be. And again, similarly, we'll examine like, where is the disconnect? And is it in service? Is it in the solution set? Where is that? And look at that whole 360. And you'd be surprised. Some household brands that we work with that because there's so many layers and because these institutions are so large, that there's very few people watching the store, if you know what I mean, down to the level of the button pushing. It's just considered execution and not cerebral. So there's no one really who understands the full impact of what it means to not service properly, for example. So let's say a call center. Call center is not even in the PowerPoint slides of a lot of the strategic plans. They're just sort of like, yeah, 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 it's an icon with a telephone. And that sometimes is the first line of contact with your brand. So I would think that what is who's staffed there, what they say, what resources they have, how that data from those conversations comes back to be analyzed or reviewed, if at all. You know, I'm just giving a very granular example, but that kind of stuff, looking at the the weak links inside the chain to make it stronger and pull you further along. 
That's number two. And number three is kind of when there might be one or two market disruptions, like a competitive threat has entered that maybe there was a little bit of miscalculation on how disruptive it would be. And you might need to shift or pivot your own plan. And or in the pharma world, sometimes when there's patent expiry, so a product is losing its exclusive position and what they can do there. So kind of three points in time, if you will, in a brand life cycle. So it feels like when you describe the three levels, when somebody is in pre-launch phase versus a launch phase and not getting the results and then disruptive, the first one seems a little bit proactive. They want to be sure such that they have success and the other two are very reactive. How often does a person come early on when it's proactive versus reactive? Well, if I'm being honest, not as much as I would like, and that's not for the business end. It's just for our ability to affect change and our ability to make recommendations that are not requiring the level of resource shift that might be needed, meaning entire you know, organizational, structural, supply chain changes. So if you can plan for that in your early commercialization plan, it's obviously better. Fortunately, because I've been doing this for a while, the network is such that a lot of our work comes from existing relationships. And therefore, when someone moves to a new team or rises up in the organization, we do get to come in earlier on. But the way we are a small group of independents, I don't do advertising for my own business. We don't really pitch. This is a very unique thing to do a podcast like this in this way. So for the most part, usually it's when there's a problem. We get called because someone who somebody trusts says, oh, they helped us solve our problem, bring in new solutions. And so that's kind of honestly the most typical place. And also we're very lean. So we can come and work with, usually there's advertising agencies of record in place, all kinds of solutions providers in place. And because we don't make things, we're, we're not really in competition with them. We're a little bit can be prickly because we're sometimes recommending a shift in direction, tactically and spend wise. But again, we also often make recommendations to do things that we're not going to execute again. So that's for them to do. So usually it's pretty nice sandbox to play in. I so appreciate what you do. And this is one of the talking points is with leaders having the courage to ask for help sooner than later, because I have a story where I was courting somebody early on. They were sharing a change that was going to be happening in the organization. I fully had the capability, but they did not pull the trigger. And then six months later, when they were in crisis and the thing was escalating, boy, oh boy, they needed me. And I was happy to serve, (laughs) but it was a bit expensive. It could have been less expensive in order to get things to a point of stabilization. So, I mean, for those leaders listening out there, If you are starting to get a gut feeling or you're not sure if you are following the right course, call Natanya sooner than later. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, you know, they always say measure twice, cut once. So that's kind of how I see it. But I will say there's some good reason why this doesn't happen more. And I think it's not any one thing, but I will say what I've noticed is, quite frankly, a lot of leadership needs to make it okay for the people that work for them to raise their hand and say, the emperor's naked. And what I mean by that is most people don't want to give any kind of bad news to leadership. So they will literally bend data to say a story that always says good news. So the reality is they don't know. And it's not because no one's bright enough to know. It's that they're not empowered to say, 
we might need to pause here, or we might need a different resource, or we might need to shift with this thinking, or this positioning might be off because of this. Because everyone just is about the deadlines and getting it done and saying the right thing and getting the attaboy from their leadership. And so that's another reason I think it really happens. And that's, I think, a role that leadership can take, which is to allow that and make that known that I want to know if there's a problem. I want to know if something that I'm asking for doesn't seem to either make sense or is cannot be actualized in the way I thought. I'm okay with that. I'm secure enough in myself as a leader to say sometimes I might need some feedback to shift. And I think that's a big one that doesn't get spoken about very much, whether it's ego sometimes, or sometimes really it's just the unspoken that's part of the culture of corporate America. I say, and I even wrote this in an article, you're usually talented when you are at the top. You've been successful over and over again. So you probably have about 70 to 80% of the information necessary to make a good decision. You have to engage the people. That's maybe another 15% that maybe you don't know, but you get to 95% and feel pretty confident we have to make risk-based decisions to say we got to go. On the other hand, that 5% could be deadly. And that 5% could simply be the validation that the approach is right. And I wish more leaders would do that. So I just would love an opportunity if you could just tell us a little bit more about this sounds like the right thing to do. It's intuitive. But what was the situation, maybe a particular client that engaged with you? Where were they at? And what was the impact of the recommendations that they took from you? Well, instead of giving you the classic, here's why I'm so great story, I'll tell you a story (laughs) of where a relationship, kind of similar to what you said about the six month later, except mine's a couple of years, where we were called in to help a company do a direct-to-consumer launch. And basically, after looking at everything, I said in a delicate way, you're not really equipped to do this the way you think you are, because you're going to need a budget that's exponentially greater than this. If you buy ads at this spend that you have here, it's really just putting your money on fire. I didn't say it that way, but we basically kind of said, we see a more likely success in partnership here and there because of this, because of the market. And there were basically a market leader that was exponentially greater that I just, you know, it's like so much smaller than it was small fish in a big pond doesn't even cut it. And I did it gently enough, but they weren't really happy about that. (laughs) So that was the end of that relationship for a while. And I always thought, oh, dear, maybe that was wrong, but I wanted to be ethical. And, And sometimes we have to say we can't help you or we're not the best people to help you or outside of our role here. This is what we think has to happen for this to be successful. And here's why. So fast forward. Here I had in my head, though, that they were like mad at me and didn't like it and what have you. And turns out, you know, they had to come to that themselves. And so then they came back around and said, hey, we're here again. (laughs) We're doing things differently. And we'd like to engage again because now we have sort of some different aims. And, you know, I didn't mention anything about the past. And it was interesting. They introduced me to a new principal who is now the new CEO and introduced me like this. This is Natanya and her team. They're going to tell you things that you don't want to hear, but you should probably listen to them because we did it. And now we realize we should. And I was like, okay, I guess that's a good endorsement. The best, the best. (laughs) So it's not always bad news, but I think when you have a reputation for authenticity rather than placating, it's going to go with you. And I think a lot of the big shops, and, and I also have this love hate with the word consultant because the other thing is, 
to do real work in consultancy is often a misnomer. So consultants are perceived as pontificators or academics or great presentations and great conversations, but plan of action kind of isn't there. And for me, and the reason I made my own shop, honestly, was I couldn't stand that there was that. And all the knowledge and all the great nerdy people were stuck in so devoid and decoupled from the action. So because I was in-house, in brand teams, in startups, actually building and commercializing and launching products, I knew that at least enough I knew to partner with the right people to know what was required to make sure that what we were focusing on wasn't just academic. So it's consultative in that you can kind of on demand dial it up and dial it down. But it's not in terms of the fact that we get really granular into the nitty gritty, like what I was saying and saying, I need to see your call scripts. And people are like, what? Why would you at this level? And again, we do it in a stealth mode, but we make sure we look at all the things on the wheel, all the spokes. So I'm so grateful you shared that because that's exactly the way I operate as well. Yes, I have a lot of experience, but like you said before, you're a problem solver. I need the data. I need the information to have a deep understanding as well as speaking to the people, not just what they do, but how they feel. Are they supported? Do I see success in the way we support the people? There are so many deep things we need to do and then leaving them with actionable activity that I will do with them not just pontificate and say, here's your list and say, here's my invoice as well. So love, love, love the work that you do, Natanya. And there is so much depth about what you do and how you serve so many on multiple levels, both your community as well as businesses that need your help. But I want to give you the last couple moments before we bring this to close to share any last closing thoughts with people and how people can get a hold of you. Well, thank you again so much, first of all, for welcoming into this exciting forum. I'm really grateful. And what you're doing is really blending a lot around making the human factor real and not a shameful or weak thing that I think a lot of people of all shapes of colors and sizes, I think, struggle with when you get to a certain position of leadership. And we covered on a lot of things and some were really, really granular. But I guess as like a a tie-in for the whole thing, I would say, I'm very open to connecting with different kinds of people who want to affect change and really believe in what their product or service does and may or may not feel like they're getting the true feedback to know, like you said, that 5% delta, maybe it's validation or maybe it's a little kicking of the tires and, and doing some changes. The way you can get in touch with me, probably the best way is LinkedIn. And I also would love to recommend anyone who has either children or grandchildren or anyone knows anyone of Gen Z to encourage them to either go to Evermore or just get involved in their lives. I think there's a lot of young people who are looking for support and direction and not necessarily a talk down to way. And they're the future of our society. So for me, it was very important to make sure that I did something that left the world a little bit better than I found it. And every day just doing that in a small way. And even though, you know, I left the clinical world, that's why that void was still there for me. And when, you know, you're working with large organizations, sometimes it can take a while to see your programs come to life. So I would say, you know, for everyone, if you're feeling that, you know, you have the corner office and you have the leather chair and you have the salary, and if you feel that tug, that there's something more, that you can find a way to balance it. And it might not come overnight, but I I think it's really worth it because I know I'm more passionate about my professional services role because of the fact that I have those other things that keep me fulfilled emotionally as well. 
Well, Natanya, this has been an amazing interview. I started off the day one way, but you have definitely left me on a high note. I wish you continued success in all the work you're doing. And thank you for being an amazing guest. Thank you so much, Deb. Thank you for listening to the Drop-In CEO Podcast. My new book, The CEO's Compass, will change the way you think about leadership, navigate rapid transformation, and elevate the leaders of tomorrow. If you're feeling off track, the CEO's Compass Assessment will guide you to peace of mind in days, not months. You can learn more about the CEO's Compass by visiting my website at dropinceo.com. Now go out and lead, inspire, and achieve your goals.